Morning, Gateway. Now, um, I gotta, I gotta just gotta ask a couple questions here. Any Packer fans out there? Yeah, I'm sorry. How's that working for you? Okay. Any Viking fans? Yeah. How come you laughed at the Packer fans? We're all in the same boat, right? <laughs> okay. So it'll be fun later on. Super Bowl. I love Super Bowl Sunday because nobody's worried about leaving church early. They're like, yeah, games at 5:15. Nobody cares what happens till then. Just don't ramble too long, and we'll be okay with you. So to do that, I'm actually setting the timer on my watch. So there you go. Um, yeah. Good morning. My name's Charles Porter. It is awkward being a traveling itinerant speaker because I'm not like a famous guy so none of you were kind of like "Ooh, we got Charles Porter this week they're like who is this guy and why is he up there and will he have anything to say so I have about three minutes to get your attention and hope that you actually listen to me and then we dig into the word and your life is transformed in 25 minutes small expectations right so I've learned that it's really easy to get you to like me. The way I get you to like me is I'll show you pictures of my kids. So there's a little cute kid up there. That's Josh. He's our 15-year-old uh, now, but that's a picture that Sharon took how many years ago? Uh, Josh came into our life when he was a little bitty baby and has an amazing story of adoption. So Josh is the young man you see over here. He doesn't like me to point him out, so I won't say, hey, Josh, hey, Josh. Uh, and then the next little kid that you'll like me is because this is Alana. And uh, you should know Alana because she will be your boss one day because she thinks she's mine. And uh, <laughs> so anybody have one like that? Nobody? Yeah, there we go. I love you, sister. We're... We're right together. Okay, next picture. Let's keep going. That was Alana a little bit. Cute pictures, right? You're feeling better about me, right? Because anybody who has cute kids like this has got to be okay, right? And then the last little picture, this is Riley. Now, Riley apparently is not that big anymore. Now, Riley does like attention. His hand is wide open. So, uh, and if you like to give hugs, Riley will volunteer. He will be, all, the, all you uh, ladies who are seniors and you need a hug, that young man will give you more than you want. So, there you go. And so, this is my family. Um, and obviously we don't look like that anymore. This is a few years ago, but it kind of uh, symbolizes our, uh, uh, the, the mood of who we are. And yes, we've been missionaries in Africa since uh, we were approved in 2000. We left for the Sudan in uh, six weeks after September 11th, 2001. And we ministered undercover uh, in an Islamic country for two years. Then uh, we went all over Africa. Amazing experience. Listen, I wish you could all go. And you could experience what Africa is truly like because I lived in a city of six million people with high-speed internet. My church was full of people with MBAs who had traveled the world. Brilliant people. And yes, what you see sometimes is Africa, but most of the people that I know, are one of my best friends from our church who was an elder at the church that we planted in Dar es Salaam, uh, Tanzania, is now um, in Silicon Valley. And his company buys and sells multi-million, billion-dollar startups. He's in the venture capital world. So my world of Africa was this brilliant young generation. And, but unfortunately, I'm not going to give you a mission sermon this morning because I feel like the Lord has something else. But how many of you, just for fun, you like a, a story maybe? Everybody, my wife says, Charles, don't. Just tell a story. So... Um, the other thing that should probably make you like me is that I might not be the sharpest, sharpest bulb in the chandelier. And if you're a, uh, a person, you realize I just messed up my metaphors, right? Exactly. So you're, yeah, he's not real sharp, is he? Well, one of the things I like to do when I travel around Africa, and um, our ministry is a training and coaching ministry, 
And so I get to train leaders and coach young leaders, and we coach pastors and leaders all around the world, really, in Minnesota and Africa and everywhere. But uh, one of the opportunities we got was in 2003, we got to go to Rwanda to teach in a Bible school, which was fun and cool and all that. But they said, hey, while you're here, would you like to go see the great silverback gorillas? There's only 650 left. Would you like to go and see them? And I'm like, sure. And my wife, who has more common sense than me, says, no. <laughs> This plays in later on, obviously. So morning comes. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, hop in my truck, drive to a dormant volcano. Like I said, I lived in a city of 6 million people, high-speed internet, all this kind of stuff. But this day was what you might have thought in the old movies. We walked up a dormant volcano, and obviously these gorillas are not in a pen. They're not in a cage. They're out in the wild. Well, because of this, they actually have guards assigned to them who travel the mountains to protect them from poachers. And so they have radios, and so our guide has got on a radio, and literally we have machetes, and we're chopping through the forest, and it looked like the Lord of the Rings. There's mist floating around, and it's just unbelievable experience. And we come up over this ridge and come down at these gorillas, and we find the family. Oh, this is really cool. Except... It's nap time. And I'm looking, and all you see is, pardon, but gorilla bums. Because they're sleeping like this. Like, I paid all this money? I paid a huge sum of money to watch gorillas sleep? Are you kidding me? This is a waste of money. And so the guards, kind of sensing our frustration, allowed us to get closer than we normally would have. So we actually walked down in the thicket where the silverback gorillas are sleeping. Now, you got to understand this about silverback gorillas. They're organized in families. There's a dominant male, a lieutenant, and then women and children is basically how it works. And so we had accounted for the dominant male because you could see the big gray stripe on his back. That's why they call them silverbacks. Um, 650 pounds. That's twice an NFL lineman in the body of something this tall. Comes into play later on. <laughs> we walk down in the thicket, and we're looking around. You're having this experience, and all of a sudden we realize, where's number two? Because we haven't accounted for him. Uh, he's a little guy. He's only 450 pounds. And so literally, three minutes later, we look over, and out of the bush walks this 450-pound gorilla and sits down for me to Rick. Puts his hands on his belly and is like, what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing, because I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Now, I'm videotaping this, and you know, I'm just you know, doing my Steve-O. And, wow, we're going to die. This is the most amazing thing in the world. And everybody's like, shut up, dude. All right, you're going to get us killed. So we sit there. And it must have been literally probably only about six or seven minutes do you know how long six or seven minutes is when you have a 450-pound gorilla staring at you and you can't move? It felt like an eternity, and finally he kind of shakes himself, and he moves over and he starts waking the family up. So our guards are like, come on, come on, get out of here, get out of here. So we walk up the hill just a little bit, and we're probably 15 feet away, and he wakes up the big guy. And the big guy gets up on all fours, and he looks around, and he looks up at me, because I'm the front guy, because I'm the stupid guy, right? I'm the, the sharp bulb, here we go. Looks at me, beats his chest, grabs a branch, and comes flying at me. 
Now, we jump back as quick as we can, and he literally, I could have reached out and touched him. And our guards are like, calm down, calm down. He's just telling the family to move. And from that moment, the entire family of gorillas walked out of the bush and passed like as close as me to this TV. The last one was a little bitty guy about this big, and he walked right up to me. And he goes, like, I could take you, but dad might not like it, so I'm going to do that. Now, for those of you who don't believe any of this story, gentlemen, I think we have proof that this actually happened. Here's the big guy. Here's me 10 feet away. And here he comes. There's more to the video, but I don't have time this morning to do that. So, yeah, that's, that's my African stories, and I have a few of those. Um, so do you feel a little bit better about the guy up here? You know, I'm not the sharpest bulb, so you don't have to be intimidated. I got cool kids, so I got to be a normal guy. But um, this morning, I would like to um, talk about what's called the time between times. The time between times. Now, one of the things that Sharon and I share in common is we love books. We're readers. And my kids are all readers. And there's an author called, named Stephen Lawhead. And Stephen Lawhead wrote something called the Song of Albion Trilogy. And the first book is The Paradise War. Now, some, a lot of people don't know that Stephen Lawhead is actually a believer in Jesus. So a lot of what he writes are metaphors, much like C.S. Lewis and so forth. But... Um, Though his books aren't overtly Christian, you cannot read them as a Christian without seeing and understand the worldview that they're written from. The first book is called The Paradise War. Lawhead picks up on Celtic mythology about a world that parallels ours. It's a lot like ours, but not exactly. And every day at the time between times, the veil between our world and that world gets very thin. And it's possible occasionally to cross over into this other world. This is a device used by authors and by writers in many different um, times. It's dusk, dawn, those words, is it really light? Is it dark yet? Where does sunrise actually happen? Where does darkness actually go away? And in these mysterious moments, the veil between two worlds becomes thin enough for someone to pass through. And thus, the great stories begin. Ancient mythology has a lot of this. To access the underworld in some mythologies, most mythologies, you had to cross over. But it wasn't an instantaneous thing like in Christianity. Be absent with the body is present with the Lord. You had to cross over a river. There was a passage that happened. What does this all have to do with today? Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And you know that that's not an official holiday, right? Well, this Sunday is also a time between times. And as I was praying for Gateway... And talking, I know that you're in a transition time. You are in one of these time between times where you're about to have another senior leader, but you're no longer who you were. You're in this in-between space. What does the scriptures have to say about? And more than that, I know a number of you are in these in-between spaces. In this in-between space where what was is no longer your reality And what will be has not come to pass. And you're in between. I think I have this kind of picture of a misty type reality of, is it dark? Is it light? 
And who are we in these in-between spaces? What does that happen? Um, for many of us, we're in those in-between spaces. My wife and I, Tanya, are in an in-between space. For the last three years, we served as what's called uh, the missionary in residence at North Central. It was a temporary assignment at North Central. Some of your young people I've met down there, um, they don't do their homework. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cole's parents here? Are you here? Anyway, yeah, yeah, there you go. No, he was a good student. But uh, that in-between space where we're no longer there, we're not quite full-time working with Africa because we're in a fundraising. So what does that mean for us? And how do we live in this in-between space? Um, there's also another space in this in-between that I would like us to consider. And I borrowed this from uh, Billy, who's visited, who's also in the community. But it's called the Say-Do Gap. Anybody ever been to London? Some of you have traveled. You've been through London. Okay, there's a thing called the Tube, which is the metro. It's the, anybody not heard of the Tube? Come on, you guys are so Minnesotan, you're killing me. Somebody say yes, okay? Gerald, I know you've been to London. Please raise your hand. Thank you, okay? One person in this whole place has been to London. Since nobody else has been to London, let me tell you, they dug holes in the ground and they put trains underneath the city, okay? And when you get off and on the tube, there's this nice British voice. It says, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. What does that mean? That there's a space between the train and the platform often, and it varies in size, and you can fall down between the train, and if that happens, you're going to die. So they're always telling people, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. And in our life as believers, we must be consistently minding the gap between what we say and who we say we are and what we do and how we live our lives. Anybody ever felt that tension? I, yeah, I'm the only one, so I'm just going to have a catharsis moment up here all by myself. You and me, Terry. All right, we're doing it, okay? We're going to have the say-do gap. But how do you mind the say-do gap? Understanding that the say-do has everything to do with how we get from one season to the next in our life. Here's what Charles says. Here's what Charles does. And there's a gap in between them. And that gap is my danger zone, my problem. So this morning, as we consider these two in-between spaces, you're either in one or you will be in one. Let's look at the scriptures. Acts chapter 1. Everybody loves the Gospels. And at least if you're putting my history, my background in the Pentecostal church, we skip Acts chapter 1, go to ch straight to Acts chapter 2. Because cool, crazy stuff happens in Acts chapter 2. But what happens in between? What happens between the cross and Pentecost? What happens between, and it's only 10 days, when Jesus physically leaves and he's no longer there, but there's not this new reality of the gift of the Father being manifest in the lives of the believers. What do you do in the gap? So let's begin Acts. Um, and the reason, the picture that we're going to put up here, I'm going to have the scriptures, otherwise use your device. But the picture is actually from a place in England called Hope Gap. Because I find in the gap, so many people lose their hope. But my friends, we aren't to live in the gap. We're to go through the gap. And so when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, and they're looking on, he's lifted up. 
The cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing in looking into heaven? What? Uh, isn't that pretty obvious, dude? Like, Jesus just left. Why shouldn't we be looking into heaven? I mean, that's kind of, duh, I, angels, you're supposed to be really sharp. But Jesus just left. Our reality just changed. Everything about the way things were no longer will be because the physical manifest presence of Jesus is no longer among us. How do we deal with this? We got a demon, Jesus. You come take care of it. Jesus ain't here anymore. The Pharisees are saying this. We're about to get beat down. Jesus is not here anymore. Isn't it? Well, yeah, obviously. What do we do now? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. James, all these are with one accord, which is why Hondas are in the Bible. Uh, we're devoting the yeah, saying, no, good. Anyway, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. It's in the ministership from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to, on Matthias, and he was numbered in the eleven apostles. This is a fascinating time in the life of the early church. They went from Jesus is here to how do we deal with life. And Acts chapter 2, man, you want to go there. You want to see how the explosion of the early church and the moving of the Holy Spirit. But what happens in that in-between space. It's kind of like being pregnant. Now, I got to, I'm a linguist. I, I've had the opportunity to study five different languages. In no language in the world is a man ever pregnant. So dudes, stop saying we're pregnant. Okay, I was there when my wife had babies. I was not pregnant. I don't have bowling balls coming out of my body, okay? It ain't gonna happen. You're expecting She's pregnant. So if you like that, okay, do that. But I'm never, I've never been. But when my wife and I, we went 11 years before we had uh, biological children. We adopted Joshua. We just thought adoption was the way that God was going to work in us. Had such a cool story, prophetic dreams and all this kind of stuff that happened. And so when Tanya got pregnant, we didn't know it. I was going on a trip. I, we were in Africa. I was going to hike into a place that had no running water, no, no roads, no nothing. She's feeling sick. I'm like, honey, let's go to the doctor. But let's take one of those cheap pregnancies says because of the doctor they're going to charge you 30 40 bucks and so you know we'd done 11 years and I had stock in pregnancy test okay and she goes upstairs I hear a yell and I'm like oh that's new 
and she shows me this little thing that says she's pregnant. She said, what does this mean? I'm like, it doesn't mean anything. We're going to the doctor. So we go to the doctor the next day. And the doctor examines her for about 30 seconds. and said, would you like to see your baby? I'm like, what? Yeah, Miss Porter, you're three months pregnant. What? So she had the shortest pregnancy ever. It was, and then, you know, baby came early, all that. I mean, but there was that in-between time where we knew Alana was coming. But we didn't live in that reality yet. How do you live? You've got to prepare for the next reality, but it's not your reality at that point. The in-between space. Back to the scriptures. They're in one of these in-between spaces. In the scriptures, if you read throughout the Bible, we see in these spaces there are encounters with wind, water, and fire. All symbols throughout the Bible of the presence of God. Moving between spaces requires that we understand ourselves differently. 3,464 years ago, a ragtag group of slaves stood on the side of the Red Sea. Somewhere between one coast and another, as the wind blew and the waters of the Red Sea stood on each side, these people went from being slaves to being free men and women. That in-between space was at the bottom of the sea, surrounded by towering pillars of water, being pressed on by a wind powerful enough to push water aside. They went from slavery to being a nation. They went 400 years of living in one place to being nomads, following a cloud and fire. Something happened in between, if you'll allow that metaphor. Forty years later, their children stood on another shore, this time at a riverbank. This time, the ark of God's presence stood in the middle of the river and the river stopped flowing. And somewhere in the middle of that river, the homeless changed to having a homeland. Children became warriors and nomads became an army. They passed by the physical representation of the presence of God among them and they were changed. Now here's a little idea that I want, that I've related to this. The way God will do it for Gateway in the future is not the way God did it in the past. He may do similar things, but he's going to do something different. But that's not the point. The point is the presence of Jesus. The point is the presence. As we go through those times, we cannot forget that the point of them was that the manifest presence of God was among them. God didn't send a wind to blow across the Jordan. He sent the ark. But whether it was wind in the Red Sea, the ark in the Jordan, fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the point is always the presence of God in the in-between place. The point is always the presence. That is what changes us. That is what changes us from the past reality to the future promise. You don't change without the presence of Jesus. His presence was what was allowed the transition, the transformation. And man, you know, as a, I, you'd love to move into Acts chapter 2 and all the cool things that begin to happen in the book of Acts with the manifest presence of God, but that's not the point. We have to stay focused. What happens between the cross and Pentecost? How do we live in these time between times when what was no longer is and we can't go back? And what will be is not yet realized. Well, let me give you a few thoughts that come hopefully from the scriptures. These spaces are different for everybody. I've spent some time in Texas. You know, winter in Texas is like three days. 
their seasons are really short. Winter is like, but in winter in Minnesota, those spaces are different. And oftentimes as believers, we look at somebody else's transition and we, God, why don't you do it that way? They were three days in the desert and they got a new job. I'm seven months and I'm still looking. My, their business took off. My business has taken time. Their kids were, we begin to compare those in-between spaces and we forget that the presence is the point. So how can I advise you as someone who doesn't know you really, how to live in that in-between space? Well, I go back to the scriptures and I just want to mention three things that I see. First of all, in the in-between space, they closed their prayer gap. They prayed, the scripture says. Sounds simple, doesn't it? If something happens when you pray, something doesn't when you don't. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the power of prayer? So if when you pray, something happens, that means that unprayed prayers, there's a lack between what we say and what we do. And I know it's not true at Gateway, but I travel in a lot of churches. And if you call a potluck, you'll get a full house. If you have a worship night, you'll get fewer people. If you have a prayer service, you might get seven gray hairs in the building. There's a big difference between we say we believe in prayer and we actually devote ourselves to the practice of experiencing the presence of God through engaging with Him in prayer. Now, I get it. I've been to some really bad prayer meetings. I understand why most people quit prayer meetings. And I've been to some prayer meetings where we encountered the presence of God that was so frightening that everybody was on their face. And you were afraid to move because the manifest presence of God was so very real. Prayer. These guys prayed constantly. The second thing, they studied the scriptures Sounds kind of obvious, doesn't it? Notice how much scripture that Peter uses to explain their situation. They don't look at their situation and try to change the Bible. They look at their Bible to explain their situation. Most of you have grown up, and if you've grown up and you're under 40, you've grown up in a world that is postmodern in thinking. Whether you realize it or not, most of the thinking that you've been exposed to is postmodern, meaning that you were taught to doubt what you read. We see this expressed today in the doubt that so many people have in the various forms of media. Fake news. Well, what is that? That is postmodern thinking to the written text. And when we bring this thinking to the Bible, we begin to doubt the authenticity of the scriptures because of the way we have been taught to think. So for those of you who struggle with that, let me give you a slightly different perspective. I read a study a number of years ago that people wanted to see what influence did the author have on the thinking of the person reading a text. And so they gave a comedy to someone and they put what are diodes, biodes, whatever what are these things, these things on their head to measure the brain waves. Do you know that that person, as he read the funny author, their brain waves changed to a lighter, kind of more comic? Then they gave him the writings of a depressed person, and literally the way they thought began to be shaped by the thinking of the author. And then they gave him the, the writings of a schizophrenic crazy person. And the brainwaves went crazy. What does this mean? That when you go into the scriptures, listen, I've been working my way through Ezekiel. Huh? 
Have you read Ezekiel lately? What is he talking about? Lay on your side, build piles of poop, and throw it at Jerusalem? And, uh, dude, it's weird stuff. I don't always understand what I'm reading. But when I read the scriptures, my mind begins to think the way the author of the scriptures thought. And if we can just hold the thought that the scriptures are inspired by God, it doesn't matter. It matters that we begin to dig in and understand the way God sees so many situations. The Psalms allows us to question and yet trust at the same time and maintain that tension. How does that work? Well, that's our reality. But we allow that to work by working in the scriptures. Then, thirdly, people stepped into leadership in the in-between space. Interesting here. There were a number of people that the scripture said had been around the whole time, but they were never listed among the leaders. For whatever reason, they weren't chosen as apostles. They hadn't stepped into leadership. Maybe it was their choice. Maybe Whatever it might be, but these men were around everything that God did, and yet they had never stepped into what God had called them to be or do. Maybe they're part of the 72. We don't know their story. We just know this. In the in-between, there are opportunities to step into leadership. And God calls people to step up in the in-between. So what's our say-do gap here? This is my final thought. I've got two minutes. The gap here, I find, is between priority and love. Priority and love. North Central taught me a ton about this. Students are whiners. They complain about where, oh man, I can never get this done. You know why I know they're whiners? Because they lie to me. They tell me that they're busy and they have no time. Then they fall in love. And all of a sudden, that guy who had no time has endless time, has boundless time to spend with this pretty girl. Right? What happened? He was so busy that he had no time to do his homework. There's no space in my life. There's no gap. And then love entered in, and love created a huge space in his life. Where's our say-do gap in our service for Jesus between we love God and we spend our time loving God? My friends, if Gateway is going to go to what God wants Gateway to be, Our love for the Lord is going to require more than our leftover time. It's going to require some of you gray hairs, some of you beautiful people of faith to say, you know what, I'm going to stop saying I did my time and now I get to be a snowbird. Sorry. Some of you young people, you might have to give up a little Netflix or video games. I mean, and I'm ch- I know I'm messing with you, okay, but, you know, I'm going to be gone, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 whatever, okay. So I can say stuff that people can't say. What's our say-do gap? But let me tell you this. God has a plan. God has a purpose for his people. He has a direction he wants this church to go. He has a direction for your life. He has a hope. He has a future. And it's always better. But you have to go from getting manna from heaven to being a farmer. You have to go from wandering around to being a fighter. If we want greater things from God, we have to step into this greater place. But don't forget, friends, the presence is the point. Not the doing. Because I can't get those students to work 
But when they fall in love, they'll do anything for her or for him. My encouragement to us is let us experience and worship the king. So this morning, I'm going to step down. The leaders of the church are going to come, and we're going to celebrate the presence of Jesus one more time through the taking of communion. But let me encourage you today to spend a little time thinking about the gaps, the spaces. Where is God leading you? And is the presence the point in your life? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of the early church leaders who in that in-between space spent time in your word. They spent time in prayer. And they stepped up so that they could fill the needs so that when the moment, the day of Pentecost came, the church was ready to move forward into the things that you had called the church to be and do. And Father, I pray that you would help us to never forget that the presence is the point. In Jesus' name we pray.